It is so good to be in your midst, to hear your voices all raised together, just to magnify and honor our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What a joy it is to be here and to see three smiling faces. No, all of your smiling faces. Glad to have you here. We are going to start a new series today I'm quite excited about. This series is going to be entitled Supernatural. And so in this series... Um, Part of our goal here is to help each of us move from wherever we are to where God wants us to be, and part of that is to understand a worldview that is different than the worldview that the majority of the world holds. It's the worldview of Jesus as to the realities of these supernatural realms and the realities of miracles, etc. And so there's going to be a four-part series, and on the screen, these are the four parts. Today is supernatural deliverance. Part two is supernatural healing. Part three, supernatural protection. And part four, supernatural provision. And so the first one we're diving into, I just want to... uh, read a story to you. It comes from Christianity Today, November 2018 article uh, written by the person that this story is about. Heath Adamson shares the story of his deliverance from the occult and addiction in an article in the Christianity Today magazine, November 2018. Even as a child, the spiritual world was real to him because of his involvement with the occult. Heath remembers watching a chair slide across the floor and a candle floating off the coffee table. His experiences with the supernatural led him on an all-consuming quest for answers. Then in eighth grade, a female classmate sensed in her heart that God was whispering Heath's name. The whisper said something to the effect of, pray for that young man. You are going to marry him one day. Now that's weird. They struck up a relationship, but when the school year ended, they went their separate ways. She attended church, but Heath had regular encounters with the demonic realm, became addicted to numerous drugs, looked like a human skeleton, and lived life in quiet desperation. Heath then writes, In my junior year of high school, I asked my physics partner about religion, and he invited me to church. I actually went, and one Sunday night, I lay in my bedroom thinking about who God was and what the truth could be. I felt like God himself was, had come into my room. I remember saying out loud, Jesus, you are who you say you are. Deep inside, I believed he loved me the way I was. God's presence was so real that I could almost feel him breathing in my face. I told my physics partner I would go back to church with him on Wednesday night. I said, remember when the pastor asked if people wanted to ask Jesus to forgive them? Well, I think I need to do that. At the end of the service, a volunteer pastor said a prayer and shared the gospel. I was the only one who responded. That night when I embraced the grace of Jesus, my body was supernaturally and instantaneously healed. My substance addictions vanished. The very next day, I discovered something incredible in the mailbox Inside was a handwritten letter from the girl who dared to listen in eighth grade when God touched her heart. It just happened to land in the mailbox the day after I met God. After I married that amazing girl, 
Well, there's a story there somewhere. I found her prayer journals. That's when I discovered how God used the prayers of her and others, often whispered when no one was watching to help soften my hardened heart. Looking back at my salvation, I am the product of a girl who dared to believe when God whispered, an invitation to church, and the power of prayer. And most of all, the Savior who stepped into my darkness and instead of turning away in horror, showed me who he was and who I was created to be. Welcome to part one. Supernatural deliverance. So the outline today looks a little different. Some of you are going to be really mad because there's no blanks and you don't know which blanks to fill in. I'm just alerting you. There's blanks between the questions. Large blanks there. It's going to be Q&A, questions and answers, questions and answers, and there'll be more questions even that are on your outline. So get ready if you want to hang on to by writing stuff down. Uh, a pretty big message that I'm having a hard time paring down to our size today. First question is this, why is the world so messed up? Why is life so hard? I just want to let you know that Jesus, the apostles, and the entire Bible are clear on this, that we are in a spiritual battle. And just to... Uh, Tease that out a little bit. We're going to jump into a very familiar verse to some of us. It's Paul's verse about spiritual warfare out of Ephesians 6, verse 12, where he writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, isn't that a strange mixture of words packed together? the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So the battle is in the heavenly realms. That means it's not like we tend to think far away, like heaven beyond the universe, because we're going to discover the enemy was hurled from that heaven to earth so the heavenly realms we're talking about is not there, but here in the unseen realms, the dimensions that we are now blind to since the fall of humanity. And the spiritual forces of evil are continuing to battle in these realms that are here, not far away. The spiritual forces of evil. I recognize that people today that don't have the worldview of Jesus don't even believe there is such a thing as good and evil because then you have a moral statement and we're just all doing what we want. There is no such thing and no basis for judgment, but we're just laying it out. The worldview of Jesus, which I happen to believe because I happen to believe the guy who can predict his own crucifixion and his resurrection and pull it off and can claim who he is and why he's able to do that. And so this worldview, I hope you'll listen a little bit as we delve further into a subject that for many of us is a little uncomfortable to think about and a little creepy, but I have the lights up. I don't want it to be creepy. I want us to be in the know and aware of what this battle 
is all about and why the world is so messed up and why life is hard. So let's start with who is the devil? Revelation 12, 9 says, the great dragon was hurled down. Who is that great dragon? That ancient serpent, way back Genesis 3, called the devil, another name, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And where does the devil live now? A lot of people uh, misunderstand and think the devil's domain is hell. But according to this, the devil's domain is earth. He will eventually end up in hell after he's judged, and we'll read that in a moment. But he is reigning over this fallen world. He leads the whole world astray. Three times, Jesus called the devil the prince of this world. Here they are. John 12, 31, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. There's both that dark news and the good news right there. John 14, 30, I will not say much more to you for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me. There's the dark news and the good news. John 16, 11, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Why? Because here stands the truth. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But three times Jesus describes the devil or Satan as the prince of this world. Now it's why Jesus came. 1 John 3, 8 says, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So if you want to know why God sent his Son, yes, the famous reason is because he loved us so much, he came to deliver us. We're talking about supernatural deliverance. But he also came to destroy the devil and his work. He is the usurper. He has taken over a domain that was God's domain And how did he do it? That's kind of what we're talking about. First of all, how did Jesus, how was he, when he came, planning on destroying the devil's work? First, he will bind the strong man. Mark 3, 27 says, in fact, no one can enter the strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. This comes in the context where The religious leaders are accusing Jesus of doing supernatural, powerful things by the power of the devil instead of by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's now saying, wait a minute, you don't plunder the strong man's house unless you are able to bind the strong man. And he has other arguments too along those same lines. But the point is, what's he going to do? Bind the powerful prince of this world. How is he going to do that? He's going to do that by who he is and by what he has done. Now, by that I mean this. Jesus ultimately, towards the end of the gospel, lets us know very clearly who he is. And one way he lets us know is he is the way, 
the truth, and the life. Now, those aren't just words. He's proclaiming a reality, a reality of who he is. Now, we could be like Pilate when Pilate says, what if you, you know, say something for yourself. I've come to set the world right by testifying to the truth. And he is the truth. And Pilate has the, he's really modern in his thinking. What is truth? What is truth? Well, Jesus is the truth standing right in front of him. And when we talk about truth, let's talk about a definition of truth. Truth is reality. And you can test reality, not just by the revelation of God, which is helpful to us to understand what truth is and differentiate between truth and error, but you can test reality by reality. So, example, in our minds, in our world, the way we understand truth. If you think you can fly, I think I can fly, go to the edge of the cliff, test that reality. And reality will prove whether what you think is true or false. We have a world right now that is telling us all kinds of falsities as if they're true, but people aren't really investigating to see if reality proves them to be true because the devil keeps lying to us, telling us, if you do this, you will be happy. If you live this way, you'll be happy. If you just do what you want, you will be happy. Test it by reality. Is it true? No, you're not happy. The more you do these things that are according to his lies, the less happy you become. Test your reality to see if it's true. And Jesus claims to be the reality that you can test and you can test that reality and you're going to discover this is a reality that's firm. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Everything else is a lie. And so I just want to bring that out right in our faces and start to consider What's going on in this battle that we can't quite see, can't quite put our finger on, that's coming in the world of our ideas and understand what is taking place. Jesus is the reality. The devil is the deceiver. John 8, 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. How do you beat the lie? Find the truth that beats that lie. Memorize that truth the next time that thought comes up that is the lie. You see, we are living according to a pack of lies. Not just believing, living. Every time we believe a lie about ourselves and live it out, we're living a lie. Find the truth that will dismantle that lie that you're running your life by and you will be set free. Jesus said in verse 36, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Why? Because he's the truth. He has spoken the truth. Once you understand how what he says about the word is the definitive interpretation of the word of God, and you start believing what he teaches and holding to what he teaches, you will be set free. All the lies will detangle, and your life that is disordered will become ordered. Try it, and then test it against reality to see if you won't be happier. Jesus offers a better way of life. He come so that you might have life abundantly. But there is a liar out there who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, and he's doing it by deception. Deception. 
Why doesn't God just destroy the devil and his demons? Why not just say, evil be gone, boom? He could. Don't worry, he will. Revelation 20, verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They would be tormented day and night forever and ever, and then his domain will be hell, and he will not like it. Okay? So have a right view of hell, a right view of the devil. So why is it that for now, that we're still waiting for the judgment of evil. Why does God delay? Why is he letting us suffer? Why let the devil run rampant like this? Let me suggest to you a reason that goes something like this. God has a purpose that the delay is still in place. Why? Here's where logic will take it. If you understand that God wants you to choose to love him, then there has to be an alternative to choose to love him. If God wants you to choose his way of life as the better way of life, there has to be an alternative to the better way of life. Otherwise, there is no choice and he wants you to choose him for who he is and what he's done, to trust him for what he says, to test him in his reality and love him for it. And so if there is no devil, there is no choice. Think about that. It's where logic takes it. So am I saying that God created the devil. No. God created Lucifer, the highest-ranking angel, who was good. Now, just listen to what I just said there. The devil is not the equal and opposite power, like yin and yang, of God. Positive, negative, positive, negative. No. He's a created being with a beginning and an end as we have seen it. God is the I am, as in our last series about the I am, forever. No beginning, no end. But the devil, in his rebellion to God himself, became the, according to Jesus, the father of lies. He believed his own lie first, that he could be like God, in a way that is not the way he's designed. And then he lied to the first pair of people that we could be like God in a way that we were not designed to be like God. So we fell into the same lie that the devil bought, that he could be God and choose his own definition of good, his own definition of happy, his own definition of what is out of bounds and in bounds, and it's okay, and it's good and better. You buy that lie, you've bought the lie of the devil. Now, when you start thinking in these terms, there's a surprise that takes place because we think in terms of there's so many different options. But there's only two options. 
There's only two kingdoms. We don't look at ourselves this way because we buy this lie. I'm a neutral agent. I have a choice. I can look at evil, I can look at good, and I can choose between them. There is no such space since Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were neutral, and they chose evil instead of God, and they were joined in Satan's domain where he was hurled in his rebellion with a third of the angels, some scarlets, some scholars say. (laughs) I've been doing that a lot lately. (laughs) And they're in this super organized global empire of evil ever since Adam and Eve. There is only two kingdoms, the domain of darkness and the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, the king where Jesus Christ reigns as king of kings. And yet that kingdom wasn't fully present until the king arrived to pierce the darkness and establish a beachhead on a rebel planet where everybody is fallen and in the domain of darkness and sinners. And the way that the king established his kingdom is by presenting the reality and executing a reality that's supernatural that he could release us by who he is and what he's done through the death, his life, his teachings, his crucifixion, which is sacrificial, and his resurrection, which is God's stamp of approval, but also the epicenter of his kingdom and life and power, resurrection power, through his Holy Spirit, boom, exploding outward into the lives of his followers to now take over this world with the kingdom of truth and life and to teach the way, which is reality. Boy, I just gave you the whole ball of wax. I don't even know where I'm going to do next. Um, So I want to talk about that a little bit. The devil's, what's his main strategy? Deception and lies, that's his main strategy. It's the only alternative to truth, logically. So what is truth? Truth is reality. What's the devil's strategy? To convince people his way is better than God's way. He has to lie to do this. Jesus calls him the father of lies, John 8. As the first liar, he's the ultimate source of all lies. So every counterfeit religion that doesn't point to the reality of Jesus Christ is part of the darkness of domain. Did I just say that out loud? I did. There's only two domains. The kingdom of the true king who says the only way to the father is through me or there's the kingdom that is through all of the lies that come from the one who masquerades as an angel of light when he speaks his lies. That's in 2 Corinthians uh, 11, 14, okay, where he masquerades as an angel of light. I'm gonna show you on a screen from John Mark Comer's book um, how he works. So on the screen is this diagram. He presents deceptive ideas, that's 
the realm of the devil, it's coming from him, that play to our now disordered desires as human beings since Adam and Eve. Every single one of us is born with disordered desires imprinted into us because of Adam and Eve's choice against God in alliance with the devil in the darkness of domain. So each one of us are born into the darkness, into the domain of darkness. I'll get it right. That play to our disordered desires. So how are you tempted? You're tempted from lies. It could come directly as a thought. It could come through your own disordered desires, but it can also come through the world the, that play to disordered desires that are normalized in a sinful society. We'll call that the world. So there's different lies for different parts of the world. Different societies, different groupings, different lies run those groupings, but it all comes from the same father of lies working against our own disordered desires till they're normalized in a particular society and they gain momentum. Everybody's doing it, everybody believes it, must be right. And now we're feeling the pressures living in a world that is dominated by the father of lies. But we are in agreement with them through our own disordered desires unless we have been set free by the true king who is the way, the truth, and the life. And by the truth, you will be set free. Jesus told his followers that if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And when you hold to my teaching, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. John 8, 31 through 32. What's Jesus' mission? He taught his disciples to pray and live this truth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let me say that again. He taught us to pray and live for this truth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? That's our aim. That's our prayer. We seek God's ways and God's kingdom. Seek first his kingdom and all the rest will come into order and line up for you. What's the devil's mission? I just told you Jesus' mission. The devil's mission is he teaches, if we can call it teaching, he teaches the opposite. He's not teaching, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. He's teaching, my kingdom come. My will be done on earth as it is in hell. Hell is the result of the disordered lives that are distant from God and receive the chaos of all of the darkness that we will generate in our own existence here on earth, hell on earth, until in agreement with hell on earth, we go to the ultimate destination of darkness, cast adrift from God, the only true reality of light in his kingdom. So the only way he can pull this off is to lie, lie, lie that my way is better than God's way. My way will make me happy. What God says will not make me happy. Test the reality. Begin to trust Jesus for what he taught. Look at his words. He says it plainly. If you hold to my teaching, you'll be set free. You'll be able to step away. You'll be delivered. I'm the truth. 
I have the power to release you from that darkness and that domain and take you into the kingdom of light, glory, beauty, and you'll never regret it. This is Jesus. He's got an organized kingdom all over the globe, powers behind the scenes, powers behind the governments, powers behind rulers, but be very, very careful because Paul says it clearly, our struggle isn't against people. The enemy's got a bunch of people duped with lies. Our struggle is not against the people, it's against the lies and it's against the father of lies. And we have a strategy for that. Love the people, speak the truth, and bring them out of one domain and place them in another domain and you begin to win. Now, Why do strong believers still have spiritual battles? Why do strong believers still have spiritual battles? Well, let's start with the strongest believer, the truth himself, who came not only as the deliverer, but as a human, the new Adam, to make a way for us where Adam failed. He went into not a garden, but a desert. Just like Israel went into a desert through their testing period and failed as a nation, Jesus went into the desert but succeeded. And he succeeded in a battle, a pitched battle against the enemy. But notice that the enemy is an opportunistic bully. He doesn't approach Jesus until Jesus has fasted for 40 days and is very hungry and a very weakened state. And then he attacks with temptations. He's an opportunistic bully. The good news is that although the devil offers him all of these kingdoms, and notice Jesus does not argue the fact that he has these kingdoms under his thumb. It's a real temptation that he battles and says, I'm to worship God and God alone, because that was the trade he was asking for. If you'll just bow and follow me, you can have all these kingdoms. But Jesus does not fail. We're not quite as strong as Jesus, but I want you to see in verse 13 an, an important word. When the devil had finished, Luke 4, 13, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. That's why I call him an opportunistic bully. He takes advantage of every weakness he can find. He will take advantage of your sickness, your weakness, your exhaustion, your grief, your trauma, your stress. He will take advantage of any weakness he can take advantage of. Just know that. It's a strategy of his, okay? And he will exploit it for his good. He's like a prowling lion cutting the weakest out of the herd. He hoped to pick on Jesus while he was weak. Jesus did not fail. So what did Satan do? He left, waiting for an opportune time. He didn't go away for good. He's still prowling about Jesus and the 12 disciples waiting for more opportune times. If you read the Gospels from that point to the end, you're going to find several opportune times that were there when Jesus just needs to disappear, get away and pray. And it's his way of dealing with all of these things that are coming at him strongly. It's an interesting way to read the Gospels. So, 
Here's another interesting feature that Judas, the betrayer of Jesus, was famous for giving the devil an opportunity. In spite of such a close proximity to Jesus himself. So he's a great example of why we struggle even though we are close to Jesus. How did Satan tear him apart? Well, the devil circled around the 12 and Jesus looking for an opportunity, looking for some weakness to exploit and he found one in Judas. Before I read, talk about that weakness in Judas, let's read what Peter had to say about the devil. 1 Peter 5, 8, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So he prowled around the 12 and Jesus and couldn't find a chink in the armor. They were just kind of solid in their faith around Jesus. And then Judas, still believing in Jesus, began to pilfer the purse. He was in charge of the monies because he's really good with numbers. And he began to steal a little bit out of the purse and use it, misappropriate funds for his own way instead of the way Jesus is leading. As soon as Satan had that, he exploits that bigger and bigger and bigger and he takes more and more until we read that he entered into Judas and Judas for money betrays Jesus and then Judas is like a dead carcass pawn left to the side because Jesus is the real target. And Judas hung himself. Creepy, right? There's two dangers to avoid when we talk about Satan and demons and demon possession, which I believe is real today. Um, Creepy things to avoid. C.S. Lewis is really good at putting it in great words. I'm just going to put it this way. Don't be too focused on the devil and his demons. That's the, one of the really important things. Don't be too focused, too fascinated about demons and the devil. The second really important thing is don't be too ignorant or ignore. So don't be over-focused. Don't be under-focused. Okay? Those are two very dangerous places to be where you're unaware that we're in this battle. Set your focus on God and good news. Not the devil and not the war, not the death, not the distraction, not the stuff that's in front of you. Every day lately, and this has been very real, just be vulnerable with you, every day I'm just simply trying to choose to win today. We don't really have the past. We have today. Hey, We don't really have the future. We have right now. And every day is an opportunity to win the day. What are you going to focus on? Are you going to focus on the darkness, the disaster, the creepy fears, how horrible things are going? Hey, listen, you can walk with God really, really closely in this world and there will always be darkness to focus on or light to focus on. What will you focus on? You have to win the day. So when you feel in the darkest spot and you're starting to crumble and sink into the black hole, focusing on darkness, hey, that just grows on you and grows and grows and grows. You have to choose to win the day and focus on God and his goodness, his creation, 
the wonder, the truth, the reality, and let it out of your lips. Lead your life with your lips towards the light and let that light again come to you so that you can function according to your created design to reflect the glory of God's goodness because that is how we win the day. Question, are you struggling? James 4, 7 said, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I love that. It doesn't say he'll slowly back away and look for an opportune time. He's such a liar. He'll get in your face, roar, like a roaring lion. Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. And he goes, lions don't do that, but I do dogs better than lions. And he, with his tail between his legs, he flees. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. You have authority. You have the presence of the king right within you through the Holy Spirit if you've submitted to God because of the victory of Jesus through the crucifixion and resurrection. Satan, back off. There's no fear when Jesus is here. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we are each in a battle. And you know these battles as they're specifically and personally applied with a master strategist, a student of humanity for, from the beginning of time. We are not equipped to face him except with you. So Lord, if there's anybody here who's still in the domain of darkness, help them right now to turn their face from the darkness and turn their face towards you I pray that even right now they'll consider getting up, walking straight to the prayer team and asking for prayer precisely at the point of the struggle, whatever that struggle is. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Because we believe in supernatural deliverance. Next week is supernatural healing. See you then.